0: get to episode 235 in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like to ask for your support of I Can See You. Whenever you need to make a purchase from Amazon.com, please use my affiliate link by going to ICanSeeYou.com slash Amazon. That'll take you directly to the Amazon.com homepage. Shop as you normally do, check out as you normally do, it doesn't cost you anything more, and I do earn a small commission on most purchases. Again, that's icanseeyoucom slash Amazon. And remember, I Can't See You sounds like a whole sentence, but it's only seven characters long. I C-A-N-T-C-U.com slash Amazon. Thank you so much for your support. I really do appreciate it. From Studio B in Swarthmore, this is the I Can't See You podcast with David. It's like blind people for dummies. Hello there, and welcome to episode 235 of I Can't See You. My name is David, at David Benj, on all the socials. I really do appreciate you joining me for this episode. And as usual, I've got a few things to talk about Let's start off with the murder hornets from last episode. (laughs) After I released that, I tried to clean it up. I don't know what the story is. I'm recording this two different ways. Hopefully one of them sounds a lot better than the other, and both of them sound better than last week. I don't know what the reasoning was for that horrible hum in the last episode. That's 234 if you're keeping track at home. I don't know if it's because the air conditioner has been on. In fact, I actually had to wait for the air to stop running to start recording this, because when the air is running down here in Studio B, not only do you hear a hum from that, not like you heard last week, but a hum that is audible to anybody in the basement here, but there's also this banging of a drum. It's almost like in Jumanji, I'm supposed to go look for something, (laughs) I don't know if it's something, the, the water draining, I don't know what it is, but it's every six or so seconds, there is a thump sound when the air conditioner is running. So I had to wait for that to end, and then I pressed record. So I'm hoping that things are good with this one, and I do appreciate you sticking with the last episode if you did listen. Otherwise, go take a listen and tell me how bad it was because I thought it sounded bad. I even had Liz listen and she also could hear it. So I knew that it was a I knew it was an issue. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if it's the device I'm using. I don't know if it's the electric line that I am plugged into and I've tried as I've mentioned previously, way back when I started using this device, the Zoom PodTrak P4. I tried different outlets and I tried the UPS that I have and I got the same result everywhere. I contacted Zoom, and they said they couldn't hear anything. So I don't know what the story is. My first inclination is to try another device. The second would be to get a direct line from the electric box to an outlet somewhere that's dedicated just for the podcasting gear and see if that helps. Obviously, that takes time and money. I could probably buy something for around the same price. And if I still get the hum, obviously I could take that back. So we'll see what happens with that. That's all gonna happen after I come back from Houston. I go away to Houston on the 30th of June. And when I come back, then I'll start to worry about that again. Just briefly, I wanted to mention what I was applying for. Last week, I had mentioned that I was redoing my resume and I had submitted it. I wasn't sure I was going to get it done. And that's why I didn't want to jinx it and tell you what it was for. I also mentioned in last week's episode, again, episode 234, that the business enterprise program director job was available. And I thought, why not? I'm not that smart, but I know I will give it the best that I can give it and give it my heart because I know what the outcome will be for blind folks looking to get into business in Pennsylvania. Again, not that smart. And that might be my undoing because I don't have a degree. And again, you don't have to have a degree to be smart. And I don't know how smart the last guy was. But like I said, I know two things I'm not going to steal from it, and I'm going to give it my heart and all that I can if they pick me. And it may require a lot of traveling from here in Studio B in Swarthmore to Harrisburg. And I'm hoping, and I said that I wouldn't relocate. I'm hoping it's something that when I do need to go into the office, and they said it was a remote job. So I'm guessing that it would just be from time to time, maybe even on a weekly basis, one one or two days a week. And I'm okay with that. It's about a two hour commute to Harrisburg from... Philadelphia, another half an hour or so from my house in Swarthmore into Philadelphia again on a one or two days a week i can I can do that because I'd be able to get some things done coming and going on the train, and I always say that, but usually I end up falling asleep on the train <laughs> so we'll see what happens i'll let you know i don't know how long it'll take to get everything processed and when interviews start or anything like that, I did have to do a test, which hopefully I did okay on that test. It wasn't one of those crazy civil service tests. It was maybe six or eight questions, maybe as many as 10. And I think I did okay. And I think I'm qualified by listening and reacting to those questions. I think I'm qualified for the position because of what they asked in the questions. And I, at this time, don't remember. Word for word, what the questions are, but I basically had to show how, in previous jobs that I've had, would I be qualified to do certain things? And obviously, as a business owner, you wear all the hats in a business—from taking out the trash to budgeting to advertising to marketing to sales to customer service—all of that you have to do. And I gave the examples that I needed to. I had a million of them. Again, because (laughs) I've been in business since I was 21 years old, so I know what goes into running a business, and I know what the people in the business enterprise program have to go through in today's market, whether it's trying to keep employees or find employees that actually show up when you hire them, to dealing with vendors, to dealing with bureaucracy, because that is the business enterprise program. And that may be why I'm not a fit, because I am not from that side of the coin. I'm always from the one fighting. And for less, you got to do it this way. I, I want to get it done. And like I saw when I was working for Kirk at the Blind Bodega in the IRS building, how certain things couldn't get done because— One thing had to be done before the other thing happened, but the other thing couldn't happen because they weren't allowed in the building. So it was one of those catch-22s. Nothing was going to happen, and it didn't happen while Kirk was there. So I get all that, and I'm I'm hoping that I at least get to the interview process. As I said, we'll see how it goes, and who knows how many people have applied for it, and we'll go from there. I mean, if nobody else applied but me, does that mean I win by default or— Do they just keep looking and reopen it up? My week got busy in the middle on Wednesday, and I'm recording this on Saturday evening. On Wednesday, I had an appointment at Will's Eye Hospital with my cornea guy. I guess you could call him a cornea specialist, not a cornea guy. (laughs) I'll ask him the next time I see him whether he prefers guy or specialist. His name is Dr. Ayers, and we went into the appointment I didn't know what to expect. As I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I saw my retina specialist, and he had suggested that I had some fraying in the retina. He doesn't look at the retina. Dr. Ayers doesn't. He looks at my cornea and checks everything out. He took my pressure. My pressure was between five and six in my left eye, which is a little low, but it's where it's been. It's not the reading that I got when I was at Dr. Garg's a couple of weeks earlier, But again, as Dr. Ayers called the way Dr. Garg does the interocular pressure, it's it's a random number generator. Basically, it's this little device that they push into your eye, and they move it around a little bit, and it, it almost sounds like a Geiger counter until it gets to the spot where it can do the reading. They got 10 in my left eye, which, as Dr. Ayers said, wouldn't be terrible. It also maybe was around 10, and that was why I was able to see something better than I did at Dr. Ayers' office. I could read the 2400 line kind of at Dr. Ayers. I was always picking a couple of choices, not just the one choice. I I would say it looks like a this or a that, and if I had to guess, I would say it's a this or it's a that. Uh, I did guess correct on most of those. (laughs) when it got time, when it got close to where I, I couldn't quite tell. Uh, the fact that I could see that there was something on the screen, even when it was below the 2400 line, I guess was encouraging, but it's fluctuated a lot, f- even on, from day to day and from hour to hour. There's some times of the day, and it's it's not always the same, that I see better, and there's other times that I I see worse. Dr. Ayers didn't see too many issues one that he did notice was my lens was cloudy. And he said that if I wanted, he could do another transplant. And I I don't know the gain that I would get from that. Again, like I've mentioned in past episodes, when you go in and you start fiddling around with stuff in there, it could set something else off. So we came to the figuring that we'll just leave it for now And I'll go back in six months, and we'll see what happens. Now, looking back at that 69-year-old cornea that I was able to keep for 13 years, over 13 years, that sounds like I got a good deal on that one. This one is a 61-year-old cornea, and it doesn't seem like it's holding up as well as the 69-year-old cornea from my last donor, (laughs) Maybe it's because the other one was a woman and this was a guy. I don't know. The funny thing that happened when we were at the appointment, and it, we were there probably about an hour and change. I don't remember exactly how long. Someone was waiting in the waiting room for a while, and she came up to the desk and she said, I've been here an hour. What's going on? I, I, I can't believe I'm waiting this long. And after, she, after Liz and I walked out, I said, that, that girl must be new because <laughs> an hour is nothing. Sometimes there are emergencies. We've been there for multiple hours. We were happy with the amount of time we were there the other day. So that's the story on my cornea. Nothing on the horizon as far as surgeries go. So that part is good. On Wednesday before my appointment, I guess I should say on Tuesday night before my appointment, I knew what time I had to go to bed so I could get my four and a half hours of beauty sleep. Clearly it's not working or I'm not getting enough. (laughs) I finished up on the computer. I've been working, as I've mentioned, for a few weeks or a few months, I guess, at this point. I've been working on the NFB of Pennsylvania website, and I am pushing to get it done before I go to Houston, which is, again, in roughly a week. Friday the 30th, I leave, and I am so close to being done, but I was working on it on Tuesday night knowing, okay, I've got to go to bed here and so I can get up here, I did all that. I went up, I did the dishes. I went upstairs to go to bed and I then promptly laid in bed wide awake for two hours. I was in there long enough that Liz got up. I complained to her that I couldn't fall asleep. The the part of the problem was I just couldn't get comfortable. My whole body hurt. I don't remember if it was supposed to rain the next day. I don't remember. I just, everything was bothering me. My shoulder, my elbow, my knee, my feet, my hands. And I just couldn't find a spot where I could get to sleep. So finally, at about 5.27 a.m., when I reached over and touched my phone and heard Siri tell me it's 5.27, I said, you know what? I'm going to get up. I can go back downstairs and go back to working on the NFB of Pennsylvania website. And I had never fallen asleep. I may have drifted a little bit, and I don't know if something woke me up. I don't think I ever fell asleep, though, in those two hours that I was laying in bed. Again, it's possible, but if I did, it was a few minutes at most. I don't think I did, though. So I got up, I came down, I took a shower and everything, ate breakfast, went downstairs, started working on the website. I was actually able to get a few pages done, and it's been painstaking to go through these pages. Just unreal how horrible the old site is and why I didn't want to copy from the old site to the new site. There are Plenty of dead links that go nowhere. And I'm not talking some rinky-dink sites. I'm talking to government sites, .gov, not there anymore. So I don't know what the story is with that. And I didn't have time to go through and look to see, well, maybe I should look around and see if I could find it. I don't have time to do that. I have all these pages that I have to get up and get going. I need to create some pages. And that's part of the problem. I need to create some pages for things that I don't know anything about. So I was able to get four pages or five pages done on the divisions. In the NFB of Pennsylvania, as I've mentioned before, there's like eight chapters, and each chapter is kind of geographically situated, except for Jigsaw chapter, which is an at-large chapter. And if you're not in an area where there's a chapter, you you join that and then you every obviously every meeting is virtual via Zoom. Most of the other chapters have an in-person component. Not all of them, but some of them do. Keystone Chapter, as I've told a million times, obviously has an in-person component when we go to the Penn Museum to meet. Greater Philly has an in-person. The others, I don't know whether they have in-person or not. And I I think some of them do, and I think some are still just meeting virtually. And again, because it's in an area where maybe public transport isn't great, so if you're in the outskirts of a certain city or town, That's why you would meet that way as well. The divisions are blind merchants, blind students, parents of blind children, and blind parents whose children may or may not be blind. So I was able to get pages for each of those divisions done, which was, I was really happy that I could do that in that time. But some of the things on the pages, there was a story about airline passengers and guide dogs. I don't know how old that story was. My guess, it's probably a few years old. Outdated. Probably something a little more current would be available, number one. Number two, that story shouldn't have been on, I think it was the guide dogs page. Shouldn't have been there. Put up another page, do another. Do a post and link to it from there so that it's not outdating the page. And as I explained to the other folks on the committee who is doing the site, a page is evergreen. Pennsylvania Association of Guide Dog Users is always going to have a page on the site. But an article that has to do with something where a guide dog user did this or a dog did that, that's something that is not evergreen that doesn't need a page to be there forever. On the student's page, there was a letter about some study going on. I don't know if it was current. It wasn't dated. Again, something that should not have been on that page. A link could have been on there to another post with that letter. It is just mind-boggling how this old site was run. I went in the main navigation of nfbp.org, the current site that is live. There is a navigation maze at the top that covers the hero section. Why is it called the hero section? It's basically, if you are familiar with the newspaper term above the fold, it's the most important place on a website because that's the place where somebody lands and sees something that makes them get sucked in to go through and look at some other pages on your website. Well, when you go to nfbp.org, you see nothing but navigation. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And one of those navigation links, one of those, I don't remember if it was on its own, if it was out there in the open or if it was part of a dropdown, but it's for something called the Bell Academy. Bell Academy is for Braille and Richmond, something, something. I don't remember what it is. It's important because kids who are blind should learn Braille. And you say, why do they need to learn Braille when there's electronics? You read stuff, right? If you're, if you're out and about and you say, oh, here's a pamphlet I want to read, you pick it up and hold it in your hand and read the printed page, right? You read a magazine from time to time, whether it's on an airplane or something else. Do you read a menu? Not everything you do and read is on your phone or on your computer. That's why kids who are blind need to learn Braille. So this Bell Academy is run every summer and I know that they used to have in-person components. Since p- the pandemic, it's been virtual. And maybe in Pennsylvania, it's always been virtual because kids are from all around the state. There's not a central place to go. I don't know. I don't remember. So there was a link. There was a button or tab or d- part of a drop down menu. I don't remember where. It was in the main nav. And I clicked on it, and I said, let's see where this goes. I can just grab this information and put it up on the new site. Well, I could if it was 2021, but it's not. It's 2023, in case you didn't know. The whole site, the whole site of nfbp.org is so unbelievably outdated. It is – I don't even know. I don't know if it's because multiple people have done the site or if – the people that did the site don't care or if it was just a rush job to get certain things up. For example, I, since I have been doing web design, even before I took the and got my certificate or whatever it is that I got from the Chubb Institute back in 2003 or four have always, if you are linking to an outside site, something that is not part of your site, you open it in a new tab or a new window. I mean, I've been doing it so long, there weren't tabs at the time. (laughs) You link it to a new window so that your site is still open. If you're going to another part of your site, fine. You don't need to open it in a new tab or a new window. Some on nfbp.org open in a new window or a new tab? Some do not. It is just so inconsistent. It's also bad going through some of the pages. And and this is what I find really funny. Headers are very important with screen readers because you can go from one heading to the next without having to read the whole page. On some pages, there were no headers But there were quote-unquote headers because they had two or three words describing what was in the next paragraph. It was just text that was bolded. That's not going to help you with a screen reader. It doesn't work that way. I've always, when I do work, I don't want it to look like a blind guy did it. This is beyond looking like a blind person did it. This is looking like somebody who didn't know what they were doing did it. And again, it may be that over the course of time that this site has been in existence, that it has had one person did it one way, one person did it another way. So it's clear as I'm going along and I'm talking to the folks in the committee that something written has to be drawn up with standard operating procedures, how to do links, how to do headers, and so forth. It just makes sense, and it makes no sense the way this site is. There are links to things off of the nfbp.org that say the same things already on nfbp.org. There are I, – I did the resources page today, which probably took me an hour and a half to two hours after checking the links and checking to see where they went. There were at least half of the links on the page in this quote-unquote resource page were bad links. There was a header that was linked – and then in the paragraph below the header that had a link to it, there was also the link to the same exact page off-site, off of the site. Just doesn't make sense. I don't understand where the thinking is and why it was done this way. It's, it's horrible. It is just horrible. And I have been working so hard to get this done. And I don't know if that was part of the reasoning why I couldn't sleep the other day. I... I Always have the same thing every day. I drink iced tea every day. So it can't be the caffeine from the iced tea. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it, I had the website on my mind trying to push to get it done. But I kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. A few more things to do on the site. Again, I have to create some articles, three to be exact, to have the front page covered. The most important thing is to get the forms for the registration of the state convention up. And that's probably something that I could do once I get back. We really were trying to put the tickets on sale on July 1st, but I know we have talked about pushing that to August 1st. And I don't know how many people in the past have signed up between July 1st and August 1st. I don't know. And maybe we can get it up and running by July 15th. I don't know. I I am going to push like we're going to get it up this by July 1st. It might not happen, but that's what we're pushing for. That's what I'm pushing for. So I mentioned I had a busy week in the middle of the week, and Thursday was the busy day. Thursday was the day that I was going to the Franklin Institute and then showing some folks from Maryland around the city. And it turned out it was originally supposed to only be a couple of people that NFB of Pennsylvania President Lynn Heights had contacted me to ask me if I would take them around and take them to the places they want. And I, I said yes, and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to get all this content. Well, as the day drew nearer, there was a threat of rain. And as we got closer and closer and closer, it looked like the whole day was going to be raining. And in fact, it was really cool that day. And it was supposed to rain. I even wore a rain jacket, not one of those yellow ones. It just just kind of like a windbreaker that's water repellent. I never needed it, though. So Liz and I went to the Franklin Institute because Liz was going to participate in that portion of the day. She had an interview to do later that day to find a third person for her classroom, third teacher. And so she couldn't stay the whole day with us, which is a shame because some of the people knew somebody in Philadelphia that ended up giving them a ride from the Constitution Center over to where we had lunch at Campo's. And had Liz stayed, we also could have ridden with her. That would have been enough. Because we we would have needed two cars. Five people from Maryland plus Liz and I, we our car doesn't hold that many. We could hold five total, but it would have been it would have worked out. Three of us walked over there. Greg, Elizabeth, and myself, not my Liz, Elizabeth from Maryland. We walked over to Campos, which is only a few blocks, and I didn't mind walking. And Greg said he didn't mind walking. And we actually got there before the people who got the ride. So I don't know where else they, I don't know where else they went. And, and then we walked around Independence Mall after we ate lunch. I'll get to that in a second. So we went to the Franklin Institute first, like I mentioned, and we were waiting on Elizabeth and her group to get from the train station, 30th street station over to the Franklin Institute. And as I've mentioned before, when paratransit is involved, it's a crapshoot. And I'll tell you a funny story after I tell you about the Franklin Institute. My Liz was going because the Franklin Institute doesn't have anybody to take you around and tell you what everything is and does. So she was our guide. She got in for free. Technically, I got in for free, too, because they paid for me. But they paid. They got a discount not because there's a disability discount. They have some sort of, uh, I forget what they called it, SNAP program, which they were told would work, but evidently it only works for people in Pennsylvania, which I don't quite understand because I'm sure people come in from out of town to visit the Franklin Institute. Why wouldn't it work for all of them? But whatever, they were able to get in. We all got in for $12, and again, there was seven of us total. Liz was free, and then the rest of us were $2, and which is a pretty good discount because I think Liz, my Liz, told me that it is $45 to get into the Franklin Institute. And it's a fun place to go. So if you're ever in Philadelphia, look for coupons and try and go there because it is a lot of fun to go there. So we went around and we asked, asked the folks in the Maryland group where, where they wanted to go. And, of course, the first place they wanted to go to was the heart, which, as a kid, I absolutely loved. Now that I'm older and bigger, and there were a couple of people on our tour who were even bigger than me, <laughs> it's a little claustrophobic in that heart. <laughs> It was cool, though. Just this annoying thumping sound, kind of like my air conditioner, except more frequent. Yes, it was the heart beating. I'm kidding. Then we went, and a couple of the guys got on the plane, and we went to the space area. And, And the space area was really cool. I'm not quite sure how this had to do with space, but they had some things that were 3D printed. There was a motorcycle in there that was 3D printed, obviously not the engine and the wheels but most of the motorcycle was made from a 3D printer. Unfortunately, it was behind a glass cabinet, so we couldn't touch it or sit on it or do anything. And I understand why. And then we saw some other things. There was a 3D-printed uh, Ben Franklin bust that was made up of different parts. And I don't. I couldn't quite understand what the parts were. Liz was trying to explain it to us, but it kind of sounded like Legos or something like that. It wasn't Legos, of course. I'm sorry, Lego. Uh, but it was... In sections. And again, I couldn't really see it. And again, behind glass, so I couldn't touch it. That's the theme of the day. You can look at it, but you can't touch it unless it's big and indestructible, like an airplane or a locomotive. I'll get to the the locomotive in a second. But a couple of them got into the plane, and and I will put a picture up. And uh, Greg was in the front seat, and I think Henry was behind him. And Henry was a fairly big guy. I think Henry was behind him. So I don't know how he fit in the back uh, easily. You know, he was easily about 6'3 or 6'4. And and when I was leading him around, it was comfortable. It seemed like it'd be comfortable for him. He put his hand on my shoulder as I guided him. And it seemed like it'd be a good height for an (laughs) armrest. So uh, obviously I'm not that tall, but still, he seemed pretty tall. So we did that. They did the... This plane, And then we went to the locomotive, which was kind of anticlimactic. We did a couple of other things. And it used to be – I used to get more enjoyment out of it. But it was especially the place where the airplane was. And it was some sort of fighter plane from back in the day. It was so noisy between all the different things and all the people – that I really couldn't tell what was what, and it was hard for me. I couldn't have pulled... I I forgot earbuds, so I couldn't pull out my phone and have Seeing AI read to me what was there. In some of the places I could do that where there weren't a lot of people. So we looked around there. We walked around the museum for, I don't know, I guess about two hours, and they had scheduled paratransit to arrive at 1. And when we were making our way to the paratransit van... Greg got a call from them <laughs> after Liz found the the van on the on the road Greg was Greg and most of the group were behind well the paratransit van while it was waiting there for the group had gotten rear-ended and they couldn't take us and it turns out they couldn't take me at all because they had only scheduled for 5 people so Liz and I waited in our car. We went down to the garage, got our car and waited for the replacement. And we were kind of fearful because again, it's paratransit. They never show up on time. And we actually didn't have to wait too long. It took around 10 minutes, I guess. We were able to get our car, get the parking validated and do all that. And then we waited on another street, a side street. We were on race. The paratransit van came on 20th right in front of the Franklin Institute. And I called Elizabeth and told her that we would follow them because we couldn't pull up behind the van. They were expecting us to pull up behind. We couldn't do that because of the way where we were and where the van was. So we just followed them down to the Constitution Center. So the fact that the CCT got there in a short amount of time after being rear-ended, and and Liz had found out after I told her that they were rear-ended, she was talking to the driver and said, they were parked there on the road and some guy just came up and rear-ended them while he was going to throw something out. He was slowing down uh, to stop at a trash can and whatever did not fully stop and hit them, hit the van. So, and it's more than, it kind of like, it looks like a party bus type of thing. I, I've never been inside one, but, you know, just talking to the folks inside, I don't know how many had seats, you know, maybe 10, I don't know. but they had to wait for another one, and then we followed them and made our way over to the Constitution Center. We didn't go in any place. We, they decided they wanted to eat first, and then we would go to the Liberty Bell and the Constitution Center and, if we had time, Independence Hall. By the time we got done lunch, we thought, okay, let's go to the Liberty Bell. and Fortunately, we did that first because that was free, but the line was long, and Henry was looking for a bench. He's a, on the older side of the group. And he wanted a bench to sit down, and they didn't really have any wooden benches anywhere. They all had these cement slab benches or marble benches, which he wasn't too interested in because it didn't have a back, and he just needed to—he just needed something with some support for his back. We waited in the queue to go into the Liberty Bell, and then, of course, you have to go through security. And here's six blind people going through security with, they take your cane away, which, as I've probably mentioned in the past. Kirk Hunger told me they're not allowed to do that. But they send it through the scanner. My cane, at least Nigel, the one that Nigel's attached to, and I'll tell you a brief story in a second, the only metal part of that cane is the tip. Everything else is some sort of composite, some sort of plastic, probably what that submersible that was going to the Titanic is made from although mine hasn't cracked yet. We obviously have to empty our pockets, just like when I would go in when I worked at the IRS building at the blind bodega, had to get everything out of our pockets and so forth. So we all go through security and we make our way down to the bell. And we're, there's a little bit of a line once we're in. The, the holdup is security. And obviously, when, once, we, once we got to security, we really held it up. But we made our way down to the bell. And when it, the first couple of people in our group got to it, the i guess they're called park rangers i don't know what they are but the security guy there said he took down the rope he said come on you can touch it cuz he could see that we were blind we're all using canes so i got to touch the liberty bell in fact that was going to be <laughs> and <laughs> that was going to be the title of this episode i touched the crack my fingers were in the crack something like that but i was told that wouldn't be, <laughs> that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> so the title is what it is. <laughs> but it was very cool that I got to touch that. And I said to the guy, I said to him, I said, now, you know, this was broken before I touched it, right? <laughs> and he started laughing. And I'm sure he hasn't heard that a million times. It's like that Simpsons episode where they're at the car show asking, do you come with the car? I don't remember what year it's from. There's a lot of years of The Simpsons, but if you know The Simpsons, you remember that episode. So we all got to touch the Liberty Bell, and then we made our way back to the entrance thinking that that was the exit, and of course it was not. The exit was not too far from the bell, but around the corner, so obviously we didn't see it, and we asked another security person where it was, and she kind of led us to the door. And then the next thing we had to do was find a seat for Henry But we didn't find a seat until we walked back a couple of blocks over to the Constitution Center. And we got over there. We went in there. I found some chairs, but then found out that the Constitution Center closes at 5, and it's around 20 to 5. So we didn't actually go in, and we made our way over to the cafe area where these nice – I wouldn't say they were comfortable. I didn't sit sit in them. I I didn't need a seat. But they seemed like plastic chairs that at least would have been better than even a wooden bench. And once the Constitution Center closed and everybody in the group used the bathroom, we left. And their paratransit ride was going to come at 5.30. So we were waiting outside, and one of the people in the group, her name was Jill, she she had a little bit better vision than me, in fact, to the point where I don't think she used a cane. So she spotted some wooden benches under some trees, on the left side after we exited the Constitution Center, which was great. So they all were able to sit down. And of course, again, I'm a stander, so I stood around and we were talking and they thanked me for showing them around for the day. And I really did, I really did enjoy myself. I had fun doing it and I was happy to help them. And it was a lot of fun. I just wish the weather would have been and again it did hold off. And I said as we <laughs> I, I said, I'm not going to say this until you guys get on the van. But I have something to say about today, but I don't want to jinx it yet. And Henry said, oh, is it bad? I said, no, 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 it's not bad. I just don't want to jinx it. And I think I forgot to say it, but I wanted to say I wore this rain jacket and it never rained and I'm, I was happy about that. Fortunately for me, the CCT came a little bit early and I was able to walk up to the train station, which I was catty corner to the first blind bodega that I worked at for a couple of weeks before I moved over to the IRS building, and that was the one at Sixth and Arch, at the Green Federal Building. So I knew that I could probably make it. I looked once they got on the van. I looked at my, I listened to my phone, and it said that it was seventeen twenty-six, and I knew the train came at seventeen thirty-three. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be tight. And so I quickly walked the four or five blocks, whatever it was, up to. 10th Street, crossed 10th, got into the station, scanned my card, got behind somebody walking slowly, got my way around him, went down the stairs to the platform. As I started onto the platform, next to arrive on track three, section A, the media Elwyn train, perfect timing. I was sweating at this point. I was moving so fast and I was just happy I made it. And again, it was a good day. And I was happy to help these folks out. And I think they were very appreciative, too. In fact, they offered to pay for our par- the parking at the Franklin Institute. And I, I said, no, that, you know, we would take care of that. It was fine. And today, before I recorded this, NFB of Pennsylvania President Lynn Heights had said, the affiliate will cover any costs. I said, it's okay. I, the only thing we paid for was parking. I mean, obviously, I paid for my lunch, too. But I expected to pay for lunch which, again, was at Campo's and was a cheesesteak, which I thought was pretty good. I thought it was a little pricey at $14.31, including tax. But it's two blocks from Independence Mall, where you have Independence Hall, the Liberty Bell, the Constitution Center, the Jewish American History Museum, or History of American Jewish something-something. It's right there at Fifth and Market. Um, Right around the corner is the Museum of the American Revolution. So it's in that section of the city called Old City, where there's a lot of touristy places. And at least the cheesesteak, I thought the cheesesteak was good. So that's what I ended up out of pocket that day. And then I also bought a iced tea after I finished my sandwich. I found out they had unsweetened iced tea. So I got that and I tipped the girl because she was very helpful for our group. Again, not easy to deal with six blind folks and not being able to see the menu <laughs> and all that sort of thing. So it was appreciated that she, she helped us out. But it was a fun day down in the historic district. The Franklin Institute, as I said, is always fun. And uh, so when you come to Philadelphia, if you need some help and some ideas on where to go, you know, obviously reach out and I will tell you. Now, the worst part about the day was when I got on the train, I realized I got no content. For just listen. There were so many times I could have gotten it. And I should have gotten it when Liz was still there because Liz was pretty much guiding us. But I didn't. And when Liz left, I had to concentrate and make sure everybody was together because I don't want to lose people like I like I think I told you I lost Simon once as we were walking from lunch after a Keystone meeting to, <laughs> to the train station. We crossed the street. He continued down the same street we were on. And I didn't want that to happen because these people were from out of town and would have been tough if they missed their train. So I didn't get any content. I was so mad that I forgot to do it. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll get some on the train ride. I'm thinking, I am not getting it. How many times have I played sounds of the train? But I apologize about that. So there is no just listen this week. But what I can tell you, episode 077 of White Canes Connect will be out shortly if it's not out already. In it, Stacy Leap and I talked to Ann Cunningham. She developed the Sensational Blackboard. And as I've mentioned in the past, it is a way for kids who are blind or visually impaired to draw, and it's tactile. It's a very simple solution that makes a big difference. And I mentioned earlier about Stacy being blind and her daughter being sighted. Her daughter, Alana, can draw on it. And hand the paper to Stacy, and Stacy can feel that she wrote her name, or she wrote, I love you, Mommy, or whatever. Or, let's get a puppy. (laughs) That's a story for another day, and I may have already mentioned it. But the sensational blackboard is something that you just need regular paper and a pen, a ballpoint pen and this device, the sensational blackboard, and it comes in a couple of sizes. And I, I hope to meet her in real life at the convention next week in Houston that anyone could use. And they make them as they're ordered. It's not something that's mass produced somewhere. They get an order for one, they make it. She gives the order to her husband. Her husband goes into the garage, which I guess doubles as the workshop. He makes it. And it sounds very cool. But that episode is coming out. And by the way, Anne is cited, but she's been teaching art to blind folks for quite a while. She worked at the Colorado Center, which is one of the training centers that the NFB has to help folks who are blind and visually impaired get the skills they need to live independent lives. And as I think I've mentioned previously, those terms, you you go for like nine months and you get mobility training, you get cooking training, all sorts of training to help you live on your own if you need to, and be a productive person, even though you're blind or visually impaired. So that's Anne Cunningham. We're going to talk about art. We talk about art. We talk about the sensational blackboard. Stacy and Anne get a little emotional when Stacy tells Anne how much that sensational blackboard means to her. It's a good episode. And again, that's episode 077 of White Canes Connect, available on Apple and Spotify and all the other places. And the link will be in the show notes, so please check that out. White Canes Connect, episode 077. That will do it. As always, the show notes are available over on the website, com slash 235. That's com slash 235. Remember, I Can't See You sounds like a whole sentence. It's only seven characters long. I-C-A-N-T-C-U dot com slash 235. Please reach out. I'd love to hear from you, again, on social media at David Benj, D-A-V-I-D, B-E-N-J for Benjamin, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and on YouTube, where you can also listen to the episodes, like Ziggy, and again, he's behind. He has not listened for a while. (laughs) So I do appreciate you listening. You can also reach out, email, I can't see you. Podcast at gmail.com. That's I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. You can reach out like Frank did to tell me about the murder hornets from last episode. And I do appreciate any feedback. Thank you, Frank, for that. And I may have something else for you to check out. So I'll be in touch with you for that. (laughs) You can also call. And you've got up to three minutes to leave your name in town. And whatever you've got, something you love, something you hate, a tip you may have for other folks who are blind or visually impaired, or just something you want to tell me off about, whatever it is, please reach out. 646-926-6350. Again, 646-926-6350. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of I Can't See You. I really do appreciate it. Be well. Stay safe. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the I Can't See You podcast with David. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends.